0: So, we get to see you guys. Welcome to REF. My name is Chris. If I don't know you, I would love to get to know you. Um, we can't say it enough um, because we really mean it that we are glad that you're here, regardless of where you're coming from, your background, whether you're a Christian or not, or you're not sure. We love that you're here um, because we think that we all need God's grace, uh, whether we've heard this stuff a million times or it's for the first time. So, glad you're here. Um, a couple of disclaimers before we start tonight. Um, I'm going to be a good deal more quoty than normal, like reading quotes, because I think that for our subject tonight, that there are a lot more valuable people's perspectives and words than mine. And also, um, I want to say this, and uh, this will make a sense in a second. Standing up here tonight, I am not speaking for any of you in the room. I'm not speaking on behalf of a group. I'm not speaking toward a group. I'm speaking for myself and about myself. And as a minister, I'm speaking as much as I use God's word for God. I'm not speaking for anyone or uh, against anyone. Um, So, I don't usually do this. Uh, You know, what we're going to talk about tonight, I had planned to talk about in a couple weeks. But... um, it felt like, and after talking with my wife and some friends, they said, let's go, ahead and, uh, let's go ahead and address this tonight. So, if you don't know, or you didn't read in the Appalachian, um, or you didn't hear about it, last week on campus, uh, a Christian ministry had a meeting, and they often do like themed meetings, 80s, whatever. And so, last week, they did a themed meeting, and the theme was Thug Life. And um, they dressed up like a thug, whatever a thug uh, is. They were wearing baggy pants and uh, snapbacks and jerseys and a lot of pictures on Facebook tagged as in the hood or um, throwing up gang signs or whatever. And um, so that meeting happened, and then on Monday there was a meeting... um, in 3Top that was hosted by Reggie Gravely and um, uh, Mariah Weber and some others and some leaders from the Multicultural Center and from the uh, Black Student Alliance, Hispanic Student Alliance. And it was a meeting basically about how to deal with what this ministry had done and how to respond to it. So I was there, um, and... There's a lot of anger, understandable anger, in the room, and it was not a meeting for this ministry to come and apologize or anything. It was a, it was a, literally a meeting to say like, what do we do? How do we respond to this? And there was a lot of people that were hurt, deeply hurt, deeply offended, deeply angry. So I heard that in the room, and then I also watched people in the room that were struggling to understand, as I was, where the hurt and anger was coming from, and. Um, so with that in mind, uh, first, before we kind of dive into it, the, the passage, um, most of the people that had that meeting on Monday to deal with what happened, um, that ministry meets on the same night as us, and they're not meeting tonight, and, and that's probably a good thing, um, but the people in the meeting on Monday night said, look, I don't think it was anyone's intent in this ministry to like, hurt someone or to be offensive or to anger people. And I don't think it was at all. I think it was a really stupid thing to do and really ignorant. And um, so with that said, um, the intent wasn't there to hurt, but it was deeply, deeply hurtful. And um, if you can't understand why an event called Thug Night would be offensive and hurtful to a person of color, um, let me just say, uh, as someone that's not representing people of color, okay, um, the, the thug stereotype is something that is often used to um, caricature uh, African Americans, particularly black men. And it's not an accurate representation of black culture. Hopefully you know that. That the thug stereotype is not an accurate representation of black culture. Dressing up like a thug mocks black people. As far as I can tell. It reduces an entire group to a group to be laughed at. Um, we do like a skaties event, right? Where everyone dresses up like it's the 80s. And the funny thing about sort of like taking on an 80s persona and wearing 80s clothes is that what you're saying is, look how funny 80s people looked. You know, isn't this so silly how we put this on? Isn't this fun? Look how ridiculous people in the 80s looked. When you dress up like a thug, you're saying, look how ridiculous black men look. And that's not okay. Um, And the worst part is at the end, you can just take it off and discard it. Because it's not who you really are, right? Um... But while people that have to deal with that stereotype just can't take the stereotype off at the end of the day. Um, Mariah Weber, who, who has spoken, she's a student, she's a senior, a uh, scholar in uh, social justice. Um, she said this, and they, they quote her in the Appalachian. She said, when you're putting on these costumes, you're putting on these roles, you're neglecting the fact that because of the common issues that have been going on, young men have been getting murdered. People have been getting killed, shot in the streets because people assume that stereotype about them. That's deep pain. Um, the names Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown bring a lot of deep pain and anger, as they should. And having a thug event ignores and disregards that pain. Okay? So let me, as a Christian ministry leader, say, that was wrong. That was sin. God is not pleased with that. Okay, I'm not standing here as someone that has got this thing figured out, but just let me say that that was sinful and God hates that. Um, And I'm deeply sorry um, that that happened. So with that said, what I want to do tonight is look in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, if you have your handout, and if you've been with us, the, the basic gist of the book of Ecclesiastes Is there's this guy, and his name is The Preacher. And what he's doing is he's looking through the world, he's looking around the world under the sun. He's sort of taking God out of the equation and saying, Is there anything in the world as it is that can satisfy a human being? Okay. And tonight, he's looking at justice. And he's asking, Is there lasting and true and real justice in the world? Is there a place where human beings are treated equally and equitably with honor and dignity? Um, so let's, let's have a look at what he says there in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, starting in verse 16. So if you have your handout, it's there. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, you can just grab one off the back table. They're free. They're for you. You don't have to ask anybody or anything. Just take one with you. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3 starting in verse 16. Listen, this is the word of the living God. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts, for what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies another. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than the man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? And again I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Hard word. Let's pray and ask God for his blessing. Father, we, um, I, I am not sufficient to open your word, to read it, to talk about it, and to talk about things... Um, of which I have not felt deeply, and uh, Lord, I I come before you, as I hope we all do, with fear and trembling, um, asking for your grace. We know that you will meet us in your word as we consider it together, so Lord, would you be kind to us, would you be merciful to us, Uh, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what I want to do, if you have your hand out there, there's a a bit of an outline on it, and... (laughs) So, surprise, if you are new to the book of Ecclesiastes, every time he's like, hey, I wonder if this thing is going to be awesome, it's like, no, it's not. It's terrible. Um, The book of Ecclesiastes is probably the biggest downer book in the Bible. Um, That's just how it is. But what I want us to see tonight from this passage is that there is no justice under the sun. I am part of the problem, and by I, I mean myself. Um... And that Jesus is um, destroying oppression and bringing eternal justice. Okay? Y'all with me? Are we okay? All right? We're good? all right. There's no justice under the sun. Look at verse 16. He says, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice even there was wickedness. He's saying, look, uh, corruption is, is real. Okay? I don't think, probably most of us would recognize that, right? Throughout the world and throughout time, when someone has wanted to go to the place of justice, to a court where they're supposed to be objective and they're supposed to deal with people fairly, there's been corruption, right? There's power. And then look at the beginning of chapter 4 there, about halfway down your sheet. He says, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of the oppressed, for they had no one to comfort them. And he's saying, look, their oppressors have power. And they use that power to victimize and oppress other people. Okay? These, I don't think this is a newsflash to anybody, <laughs> that the world is full of oppressed people and people that oppress them. That when someone has power, they often use it to take advantage of someone else and get what they want. I know this because I live with children um, that are under the age of five. Okay? When well, about five or six, you get, like, start to be like, pretty savvy about covering up your like, meanness. But before that, it's just like part of who you are, you know, so I have a four-year-old daughter, Georgia, and I give her two cookies, and I say, I want you to have one cookie, and I want you to give Bonnie, our two-year-old, a cookie, and she's like, okay, great, and she's sweet, I mean, she's as sweet as they come, you guys, some of you guys know that, and she turns around, and she carefully examines both cookies, right, one cookie is going to be larger, one is going to be more scrumptious and delicious looking, and every time she will choose that cookie for herself and give the other cookie to her sister, Um, because in that moment, she had the responsibility and power to choose, right? She took what was there, what she wanted for herself, and the Bible is really honest with us about this, okay? Beneath everything we do is this deep-rooted desire to be God, okay? To have God's power and his authority, so whenever we are given something, we use it we, at least the temptation is there to use it for ourselves, right? To take that power to make my life easier, and if I have to hurt someone else, that's fine as long as at the end of it I end up looking good, okay? That's just how the Bible rolls, that's how human beings operate. And so the abuse of power to oppress and suppress other people starts very small in our hearts. We, we are faced with that temptation every day, but it's obviously big all over the world, um, you know, there's a group operating currently in the Middle East that we're all aware of, um, called ISIS, in Syria and in Iraq. And you know, they've been doing awful. Stuff. I don't know, did you guys see like when they got that Jordanian pilot? Did you guys see that when they burned him alive? Um, they've been beheading people, particularly Christian people, taking women and enslaving them um, for sex, mutilating people. And I think for most of us, like at app where we are, we're like, those kinds of things, we say those are ancient barbaric things, So those are things that either happen like way far in the past, or they happen far, far away, right? And they don't really kind of intersect with our lives. All of our, right, oppression and injustice is all very small stuff. Um, But recently, I read an article, I would encourage you to read it. And it's called, When ISIS Ruled the American South. And, um, uh, I just want to read a couple of, of excerpts. Um, it's by a guy named, uh, what's his name? Told you I was going to kind of quote him, Rod, Rod Dreher. And uh, so, what he's talking about here is um, the reality that thousands of people, thousands of African American people, were brutally lynched and murdered in the South and throughout America, but mostly. In the south, um, my homeland. And just want to read a couple of excerpts here. Um, uh, He talks about lynchings that are based on minor social transgressions. Like speaking disrespectfully, refusing to step off the sidewalk, using profane language, using an improper title for a white person. Suing a white man, arguing with a white man, bumping into a white woman. Um... African Americans living in the South during this era were terrorized by the knowledge that they could be lynched if they intentionally or accidentally violated any social convention defined by a white person. He goes on to talk about uh, a mob in Blakely, Georgia in 1919 that lynched William Little, who was a soldier returning from World War I for refusing to take off his army uniform. White men lynched Jeff Brown in 1916 in Cedar Bluff, Mississippi for accidentally bumping into a white girl as he ran to catch the train. Killed, murdered for that. But really what kind of got me, um, and this, I'm not usually like as about talking about me as it will be tonight, but um, is when he talks about public spectacle lynchings, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, in places like North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia where I'm from, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida, many other places, um, often the murder of a black man or woman would be like a public thing, like a carnival thing, like a fun thing. Um, and uh, I, literally, if I read the the descriptions of these things, I would probably be trying to, I don't know, read the article. He talks about how a man and a woman were brutally killed. But the end gets me. The white men and women and children present watch the horrific murders while enjoying deviled eggs, lemonade, and whiskey in a picnic-like atmosphere. Um, lynching of a guy named Jesse Washington. Um, he was charged with something that... He confessed to killing somebody under police um, interrogation. I won't read the... I mean, horrific... Um, description, but a professional photographer was on hand that took pictures and then sold postcards later. This was in Waco, Texas, of the lynching. Um, and so he's talking about one of these pictures he saw. Sure enough, there it was, the charred corpse of a young black man tied to a blistered tree in the heart of the Texas Bible Belt. Next to the burned body, white, young white men can be seen smiling and grinning, seemingly jubilant at their front row seats in a carnival of death. One of them sent a picture postcard home This is the barbecue we had last night. My picture is to the left with a cross over it. Your son, Joe. The victim's name was Jesse Washington. The year was 1916. America would soon go to war in Europe to make the world safe for democracy. My father was 12. My mother was 8. I was born 18 years later. Um, He makes a point. This isn't the Inquisition. This isn't someone being burned at the stake in the old world. This is Texas. And the white people in the photograph were farmers, laborers, shopkeepers, some of the respectable congregants from local churches in and around the growing town of Waco. And this is the part where it starts to get really uncomfortable for me. Yes, it was hard to get back to sleep the night we heard the news of the Jordanian pilots, horrendous end by ISIS. ISIS be damned, I thought. But with the next breath, I could only think that our own barbarians did not have to wait at any gate. They were insiders, homegrown, godly, our neighbors, friends and kin, people like us. Um, That's not ancient history, friends, and that's not far, far away. If you're struggling to understand why someone's hurt and angry, um, it's because someone my grandfather's age was involved in doing this with someone a friend's grandfather's age, a black friend's grandfather's Age. And I started realizing, reading this, um, that I'm really part of the problem. And I know this is heavy. You guys, you guys can handle it. Um, I did not begin owning the reality that I'm part of this problem of injustice. Really, until about four or five months ago. Um, which really, I have no excuse. I'm from middle Georgia. And I grew up in a county where the vast majority of black folks in my county lived in one town, and the vast majority of white folks lived in my town. And if you were black and you lived in my town, you lived in a part of town called Toomersville, which I was told never to drive through at night and never to drive through slowly. Um, But I began owning the problem. A few months ago, I was at a friend's house. We were watching football. It was his 40th birthday. I'm not 40, by the way. I'm much much younger than that. And... um, so we're watching football, but it was the night that the uh, grand jury dis- um, decided they weren't going to indict the officer that um, killed Michael Brown. And so, you know, we're watching football, we're hanging out for his birthday, and it comes along, and uh, you know, everybody's phone beeps, and it comes across. Okay, and um, my response was, oh, "Okay, that's interesting. I guess you know, it wasn't like enough evidence or whatever, you know. Um, so, okay, cool, whatever. Back to football." Until that night, um, I went, was in my friend's guest room, and I was going to bed in Charlotte, and um, I looked on Twitter. And men and women that I respect, that are people of color, that are pastors and Christians... And by Christians, I mean like evangelical Christians, and that means like they like the Bible. And some of them, like even reformed, and I know that most of you guys maybe don't know what that means, but it's like, that's my kind of Christian person, right? These are my people, these are my camp, my tribe, right? And uh, people like uh, Tabidi Anyabule, um, Brian Loritz, um, and others, Anthony Bradley, and they were really angry, and they were really hurt, and they were grieving. And they were posting on Twitter about justice for Mike Brown. And at that moment, I was going, why am I not hurting? And, 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 and they are. Like, why am I struggling to understand? Why am I having such a radically different response than people that I say we share the most fundamentally important thing is that we believe in Jesus as he's revealed in the Bible And we're brothers and sisters and we're going to worship around the throne all together one day. How is it that the same kind of Christian as me, they're hurting and angry and I'm like, I don't know, I'm watching football. You guys are all on social media, except for maybe Glenn, because she does have the non-smartphone. And um, I'm trying to see how many references to that I can get in this semester. So you guys saw it, right? Maybe you participated. Some people posting on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, angry, upset, sad, like frustrated. And then some people like in the most cool, calm, detached manner, talking about the facts of the case and the evidence. And some people saying, to hell with the evidence. We know how this goes. We've been living this reality for hundreds of years. And you see that static, right? Okay. Um, Something isn't. Right there. How could two groups of Christian people be on such different pages? Look at verse 16 again. Okay. In the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I'm a Christian minister. Okay? I'm the gospel saturated person. I'm the person that their whole life has to be coming into line with J- what Jesus has done in the gospel. And um, I believe that I'm a real Christian. And I missed it. And do you guys remember when uh, the president was talking about ISIS and he was like, okay, but remember like Jim Crow and the Crusades? You guys remember that? And the people were like all pissed off, right? Um, sorry, I said that. He's pissed. Um, again. And uh, you remember a lot of people came out and you remember what people were saying, Christian people were saying, well, those weren't like real Christians, right? You can't lump people in that were lynching people in with real Christians because that shows that obviously they aren't real Christians, right? And Dr. Anthony Bradley, who teaches at King's College, he used to be a professor at my denomination seminary, Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. He's a wonderful man and he's a man of color. And he was posting and he's like, nothing could be farther from the truth. Those people were real Christians doing those things. One last quote from this article. A lynching planned in Ellisville, Mississippi. Paper reported that the Reverend L.G. Gates, a pastor from Laurel, Mississippi, was headed to Ellisville to entreat the mob to use discretion. Oh, for the days when leading Christian pastors entreated lynch mobs not to stop in the name of God, but to use discretion. Um, Real Christians can be deceived. Real Christians can miss injustice. I have missed it for my entire life. Okay? And so can you. And I'm ashamed, Uh, I'm ashamed, because, let me tell you something, God hates injustice. He hates oppression. I don't know if you ever think about what God hates. It's actually kind of comforting to think about what God hates. He hates when people can't show mercy and they refuse to. Proverbs 11 says, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. He loves justice. Psalm 89, you think about God, God is often pictured as sitting on a throne, right? You think like, what's that throne made out of? You know, it's kind of a weird question. Psalm 89 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. He sits on a throne and the foundation is justice and rightness and goodness and mercy and equity. Okay? So, I had a really good talk and I'm thankful for, for friends here. And um, if, you, if you open your handout, there's a thing in there that I want to read. Um, that my really good friend, Jana wrote. Thanks again, Jana and Stanley, for talking to me in the last couple of days. Because they don't have to, you know, like help me understand. Um, but they're gracious. So, is it okay if I read this, Jana? Uh, <laughs> I hope so. Um, <clears throat> I did ask beforehand, by the way. So, um, there's a divide in our midst, it's one that hides, it waits, and sits. It lingers at the end of nervous conversation. It dances around the edges of trying to break the ice. It sleeps in the empty attempt at trying to relate and be nice. With indifferent actions, this divide grows. It grows deep and wide, subtly pushing those, those that are marginalized, farther past the fence into small holes. Whether it's intentional or not, racism still exists. It exists in the comment, you're really pretty for a blank. It exists in the statement, oh, but you don't act blank it exists in the theme dressed like a blank or blank it exists in the assumption you're blank so you must blank right fill in the blank there has been and continues to be a mocking of either a lifestyle or perpetuated stereotype made light in the name of fun but is it fun it's not a big deal because what's done is done right wrong what's done is still present tense it's the act of do it's something that affects me and affects you there are things in this life that are hard to understand. They're hard to grasp, they're hard to empathize with, but ignorance isn't a myth. Ignorance is real, but it's not an excuse. Ignorance is not an option we can afford to take. We, all of us, no matter who you are, we cannot be ignorant to the differences of our brothers, we cannot be ignorant to the dissimilarities of our sisters, we cannot afford to not care. This applies to us, this is our reality, this is an issue of today. There's beauty in difference, but destruction is born in the divide. Our humanity, our brokenness, forces us to pick a side. We need a bridge. Thanks for letting me read that, Jana. Um, Jesus is destroying oppression and bringing about lasting peace. Jana's right. There's a divide. We are not people that love justice. We are unjust people, every person in this room. There is a divide because of our sin between us and God. Okay? Imagine a gulf between us and God. And because we are alienated from God, God is the source of unity in the universe. Because we're alienated from God, we're alienated from each other, individually, as groups, as cultures, as races. There's a vertical divide between us and God and a horizontal divide between us as human beings. But here's Jesus Jesus is the one with infinite power that created the universe by speaking words. Have you ever created something by speaking words besides a huge mess? He created the universe by speaking and he controls everything and he set that aside. He had power and he set it aside and he was oppressed. And no one heard his cries. And no one cared about his tears. When he went to the cross. He was oppressed by men. And he was oppressed by God. And he was unjustly condemned. And treated like a criminal. When he was in fact not a criminal. When he was blameless. And the cross... Of Jesus not only spans that vertical divide, my friends, between us and God, it spans the divide between us as individuals and groups. And I'm thankful to Jaina for helping me see that and reminding me of that. The Apostle Paul uses this language. He says, Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And he means between us and God, but also between individuals. The New Testament is all about Racial problems, Jews and Gentiles. Jesus has broken down that wall of hostility between individuals, groups, tribes, races, nations. He's broken it all down. And so what's going to happen one day is this. One day, if you know Jesus, you will worship him in full intimacy. Nothing between you and him. And you will see him. And your heart will be happy and satisfied for the first time. Okay? And there will be nothing between you. And there will be nothing between you and the other people worshiping with you in the most diverse gathering of people ever on the face of the earth. Two things are always said when they talk about people worshiping around the throne. There's a lot of people, and they're from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. And they're loving each other, and there's justice and unity. And it's true and forever. And so that is true. But the time between that being accomplished by Jesus and that coming to pass in real life that we live in is obviously not there because there's still injustice in the world, right? So how do we live, I'm bringing this down for a landing, how do we live in something that is going to happen that we know is true, that it's the real reality, but it's not here yet, okay? Okay. If the dividing wall of hostility between us has been broken down, okay, so that it is literally no longer there, how do we, if, if we continue to act like there's dividing walls there, we're hypocrites and liars, right? Um, so how do we live that way? Here's how we don't, we should not do that. We don't say, hey, Jesus has broken down that wall, so it's not a problem, you know? Just, just pretend like it doesn't exist, Right? Because to do that would mean to say, your pain is irrelevant and doesn't matter. Um, it ignores people's pain. It ignores how difficult it is to forgive someone that has hurt and marginalized you, whether they meant to or not. That's hard. Forgiveness is not, like, the easy thing that you do. It costs Jesus a lot to forgive, if you'll remember. Um, so here's a couple of thoughts. With my total fear and trembling, like, I don't have the answers, I know Jesus is going to make it right, and that's the hope, and I need him desperately to change me. Okay. Acknowledge that there is injustice. Uh, Tim Keller, whom I love, and all of his baldness... um, he tells a story, he's a pastor in my denomination, he tells a story about being in seminary and one of a, a, a black friend that was a student. And his friend told him, he said, you know, the problem with you white people is that you think you don't have a culture. He's like, when I do something, you're like, oh, that's a really neat thing that you do because you have a black culture, like that food or that clothing, the way you say that. That's really neat. That's because your culture. And so we, he's like, you think when I do something I have a culture, but when you do something it's just... Normal. You don't think this is like a white way to do things. You're just like, this is just the way it's done. Okay. Acknowledge that that is just re- is real. Okay. I'm using these two, this binary white and black thing, but like, obviously, you can see how this spans just gigantic gaps. Okay. Acknowledge that injustice is real. I'm acknowledging to you that when I walk out of the room tonight. I can choose to not care about this. Because when I wake up tomorrow, I will still be white. Um, acknowledge injustice. Take, the gospel compares, uh, compels us to care and to listen. Saying, that's not a big deal or that shouldn't offend you, is not caring or listening. Take the time to listen. Say, will you... Will you Tell me what your experience is. How did you, what do you think about that? I'm really excited about our trip to Chattanooga next week because I'm excited to sit down with a man who is a black pastor in my denomination that is whiter than Appalachian State and listen to his experience the last 30 years and learn from him. I'm excited about that opportunity and to learn how to, how to love. The gospel compels us to hold each other accountable you are free in Jesus to hold somebody accountable for not living like the walls are knocked down. Okay, DeRay McKesson, he's an um, activist. He writes on Twitter. He said this, Love holds us accountable. Evil by its nature is not accountable. And, at, and accountability at its core is justice. This is the last thing I want to say. The gospel compels us to be suspicious of ourselves. Jesus came not for the righteous, but for sinners. And he doesn't mean some people are righteous and some people are sinners. He means you're all freaking sinners, but some of you think you're righteous, okay? He, can't, he said, the physician is only for those that are sick, not for those that are well. doesn't mean some of you are well and some of you are sick. He said, you're all sick, but some of you are so convoluted you think you're well. Be suspicious of your own motives. You're free in Jesus to do that, to be like, I messed up. I'm wrong, Okay? We are all sick, and we're all capable of missing injustice. The, look, the gospel is not race, okay? The gospel is not loving the poor. The gospel is not ending sexual assault, Some of those things, okay? The gospel is what Jesus has done in time and space to save his people. But if the gospel is not compelling you to rethink what you think about race or the poor, or your subtle judgments, or how you might benefit from how other people are unjustly treated. I would wonder whether you have the real thing. Jesus is destroying oppression and bringing eternal justice. Is it obvious in your life? Is it obvious in my life? Let's pray. Father, thank you um, for being with us tonight through um, something hard. Um, forgive me for my arrogance and ignorance and blindness. Lord, we are groping around in the dark unless you turn on the light. So would you move in us, change us, that the world might see that justice is a gospel issue. Change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.